And this is something that the Lord's been stirring up in me for a few weeks. And so I'm going to give you a brief recap and then we're going to jump into some more this morning. But we started in Luke chapter 22. And so in context, what's happening here uh, is that Jesus and the disciples have just had the, the last supper together. And of course, Judas has now left to go betray Christ and to turn him over. But there's some dialogue that happens kind of while Judas has left to go do what he's going to do. Jesus, we get a, a little picture here of some kind of personal dialogue between Jesus and the disciples and specifically Peter. And so what happens is Jesus is talking to the disciples and then he pulls Peter aside and he says, and he tells me in verse 31, he says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. And he says that Satan has demanded, and the Amplified would say that he's demanded permission to come and to sift you like wheat and to test your faith. So Satan has, has asked permission. He says, you know, in other words, he singled out Peter. And he says, Peter, the enemy's gunning for you. He's coming for you. Like he, you're on his radar. And, and Peter in many ways is saying, Jesus, I'm good. Actually, you go read it. He says, look, I will go to jail with you. I will die with you. Like I am your ride or die, Jesus. Like that is who I am. I, I'm with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, before the end of the day, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, this is like the climax, the the whole life ministry, the whole thing of Jesus is is culminating in this moment. And and Peter's like, man, I'm I'm your man. I'm right here. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan's asked for you. He, 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 he. He's looking to take you out, Peter. Pay attention, like be mindful. Now this word sift, it means to separate. It means to pull apart. It means, uh, you know, and even when you get into the original language, it actually means uh, more specifically that it's an inward agitation. You ever get frustrated, like, and you don't know why? You're just kind of frustrated. You're like, like, I'm just kind of ticked off at everything. Like, I'm just ticked off of that cup because it's there. Like, you don't even know why. And everything, it just seems like every little thing is kind of getting on your nerves. It's kind of easy right now. You get on social media, you, get, you know, everything gets on your nerves. You get on a website, it gets on your nerves. You get around people, it gets on your nerves. You know, I mean, it just seems like everything right now. But you have to remember that the devil works through stealth. He's not going to come. Hi, I'm the devil. I want to ruin your day. That's not going to happen. He, and that is his weapon is that he's stealthy. And many times he tries to get us distracted by things that don't matter. So he can affect things that do matter. That is the work of the enemy. And so it's kind of sleight of hand. Like if you know about a, 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 a magician, somebody who does magic, many times what they do is they get you looking over here while they're doing something over here, Right. Why? Because they're just trying to get you distracted long enough so that you're not paying attention. And this word sift here, it actually means that it's an inward agitation to try one's faith to the point of overthrow. In other words, getting somebody to just give up and walk away from their faith, from the very thing that they've been standing on and holding to. And, and so I believe that it's very important and that we understand and pay attention as to what is happening around us right now. Now, I think we should always kind of live in this place, but especially right now. You know, I believe that, that the enemy is working overtime and has done a masterful job at what? Getting everybody distracted. 
Why? Because we want to talk about everything else as opposed to going and talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, what's going on? What do you, what do I, what do you need to do in me right now? And we can be distracted having really pointless conversations for the thousandth time that really accomplish what? Nothing, right? All my griping and complaining ain't going to change much. The only thing it changes is my frustration level. The more I gripe and the more I complain, the more frustrated I become. The more agitated I become, the more distracted I become. And see, and the enemy wants to work like this, and he does work like this. Now, one of the things that I love is that here with this account with Peter, Jesus and Peter have this dialogue, this conversation that's happening. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, look, the enemy is coming for you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't just stop with warning Peter. He didn't just stop in that moment, but he goes on in the next verse, in verse 32 of Luke 22. He says, Peter, I have prayed especially for you. He says, Peter, the devil is coming for you. But Peter, know this, I have already prayed for you. He said that your faith and confidence may be in me and may not fail. I think this is such an amazing picture here of the grace of God. And he says, and you, in other words, not because remember, there's other disciples there, but now he's, it's him and Peter. They're in a personal conversation here. He says, once you have turned back to me again, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. And of course, Peter stands up and makes the bold statement. I'm willing to go to prison and even to death with you. And then Jesus says, hey, by the end of the day, this is what's going to happen. And of course, we know the end of the story is that that day, They come and arrest Jesus and they ultimately begin the process of his crucifixion. And there were three times that that Peter was around people because as Jesus was going places, Peter would kind of follow far enough behind that nobody knew. But then people would come to him and be like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not one of them. And three times that happened. I mean, can you imagine the shame that Peter must have felt? Like Jesus just hours before said I was going to do this and then I did it. And I love the fact that that Jesus doesn't say, Peter, get your head on straight. Focus, man. No, he says, Peter, I've prayed for you. Peter, I've already made provision for your weakness. I've already made a way. So after you've fallen, that doesn't change what I have for you. I've still got a plan even on the other side of your failure. And right now we can get very discouraged because we may have some failures of our faith. We may be struggling and battling with some things. The enemy may be coming with thoughts, trying to attack your mind, trying to attack your faith. And that can become very discouraging. Is anybody else human in the room? Has anybody been discouraged a little bit in some things, even with your personal life, in in your belief? Like, God, I've been believing, and man, I thought these things were going to happen, and then they didn't, and and all these types of things. I've got good news for you. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, the Bible tells us over and over and over and over again that right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And the Bible says that what he's doing is he's praying for us. Think about that. Jesus didn't just go to the cross 
go to the grave, get resurrected, and be like, all right, I'm done. You have my seat. Let me sit down. No, he's praying. The Bible says he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. Why? That we would be strengthened so that we can support others. That's what he said to Peter. Is that Christ is praying for us that what? That our faith could be strong. But even in those moments of weakness, even in those moments of frustration, I kind of think of it like a muscle spasm, spasm sometimes. You know, sometimes in frustration, we might say something and we're like, dang it, I was doing so good. And I, I man, and then you feel what? Shame. You're like, yeah, I gave into that frustration. I got angry again. I gave into these things that that thing that I've been doing so good on for so long, all of a sudden it came out of nowhere. And the enemy is going to jump on that to bring condemnation, to bring guilt, to bring shame. But aren't you glad that we serve a God who doesn't bring condemnation and doesn't bring shame? No, the Bible says he calls out the best in us. Why? Because he loves us beyond anything that we can comprehend. And, and so we see this even here in the life of Peter. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to support what I've just told you. One of them, and you can look this one up later if you take a note, you can write it down. It's Romans eight thirty four. But I want to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. And it says that Jesus lives forever and his priesthood would last forever. Because not only is Jesus... Savior, the Bible actually says that he is the most high priest. Now, you'd have to understand some Old Testament to kind of fully get that. But what? The priest stood between who? God and the people. As a mediator. In the Old Testament, Jesus is now the mediator between what? Us and God. You can, Let me say it another way. Jesus is the bridge that we get to cross over to get to God. He's the bridge. He's the path that we walk to come back into relationship with God. And it says that his priesthood lasts forever. It says, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to him. It says he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. That's us. And so he's praying for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 6 through 16. It says, since we have such a great high priest who has entered into heaven... Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. It says this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So Jesus, in another translation would say it this way, not only does he understand it, but he sympathizes. In other words, he has compassion when we struggle. That's not the picture that I always have of God. It it is the picture I should have, but sometimes I struggle seeing God properly. And I have to remind myself because I can lean real hard towards like works and doing the right things. And yet here it says that God understands, he sympathizes, he has compassion in my humanity. Even when I get frustrated and, and I get tested and I get agitated And the enemy sets me up to fail. Even if I maybe trip or stumble, the Lord's like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm I'm here to help you get up. Just because God doesn't approve of something that we may do or a mistake that we might make doesn't mean that he disapproves of us. There's a big difference. 
So it says that he understands our weakness. He faced all of these things. It says, and because of this, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And it says, there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Like I screw up if I was still a child and I was in my parents' home. If I did something wrong, I would deserve maybe to get disciplined. In my mind, it was always a maybe. In their mind, not so much. But it was always questionable in my book. But they didn't see it that way. But what if they just said, hey, you're not going to get disciplined today. Well, did I mess up? Yes. Did I deserve to be punished? Yes. But the fact that I didn't was they were giving mercy. So mercy is not getting what I deserve. Now, so it says, there we will receive mercy. In other words, what God should give me, he says, no, I've already given that to Christ. So you get mercy. But it goes on, it says, and there you will find grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Like, I don't deserve for God to love me, yet he loves me anyways. That's the grace of God. So we need mercy and we need grace. And the Bible says, because we have who Jesus, who can sympathize, he's compassionate towards us. We can what come boldly to the throne of grace. In other words, when we mess up, we don't need to run away from God. We need to run to God. Why? Because we messed up. Why? Because there's grace to help us. And so many times we can get in these moments and we can come very discouraged. And the enemy right now, I believe, is trying to sift many people's faith and their trust in God and and trying to, to pull them away from the very thing that they need the most. Why? Because, just as an example, there is zero peace anywhere in the world at all. You can only find actual peace with God. So if if he can separate you and get you to walk away from your trust and your faith in God, guess what else he separates you from? The peace of God. The Bible, which says, would what? Says the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding. In other words, I can have peace in the midst of the craziest moments and everybody else is going, how in the world are you still sane? How are you not losing your mind right now? Well, because I have a peace that comes from my father, which goes beyond all logic and all understanding. How can you be joyful and have peace during moments and times like right now? Well, because I'm living from a different place. I'm not just living from this natural realm. I understand that I have a a, a savior in Jesus who is in heaven, who is praying for me. And I have a hope and I have a future even beyond this life. I'm not just living for today. I'm not just living for the decades that I exist on this planet. Is I have a home that has been prepared already for me. That Jesus is preparing for me. See, I believe that in in times like this, it is not the time to turn away from our faith. I believe quite the opposite. I believe it's time to lean in even more. Why? Because on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Right? 
Everything else is shifting. Everything else is moving. Nothing else seems firm. But I can stand upon the rock and the understanding of who Jesus is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you dear children, believers, followers of Christ, you are from God and have overcome them. Now the them there is talking about the world system, not necessarily people. In other words, a system apart from God. That's what the world system is. We talk about what, what does the devil want us to do? He wants us to live outside of a relationship, a connection with God. That is the world system. It's a way of functioning and operating completely devoid of anything of God. And that's the enemy's greatest thing. And so he says here, is that you dear children are from God and have overcome the world system. And he says, because, so he tells us why. It's not because we're awesome and we're strong and we've got this. He says, you've overcome them because of the one who is in you. The one who is in you is what? Is greater than the one who is in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't feel pressure. Paul said it this way. He says, we're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He says, I'm not dismayed. He said, man, there's trial coming. Go look at the life of Paul. I mean, man, he faced some stuff. But I love his attitude because he said, I just not, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pressing. That's why he called it the good fight of faith. He didn't say the good walk. He didn't say the good nap of faith. He said the fight of faith. And you're going to have to fight a little bit. And you're going to have to have some tenacity about you. Some stick to itness. In other words, I'm not going to back off and I'm not going to back away. And when things get hard, I'm going to press in even more. Why? Because I don't want to give the enemy the satisfaction of knowing that he got an advantage. And just because he gets an advantage doesn't mean he gets to keep it. There's a big difference. But I can always come back to this as what? I can overcome everything that comes my way. You can overcome everything that comes your way. Why? Because the greater one is on the inside of you. The very presence and nature of God lives on the inside of us. I don't live in that world system anymore. I've been what? Called out into a kingdom system. So whether we're talking about our physical health, whether we're talking about our finances, whether we're talking about the peace and the joy in our heart, I don't live for this world anymore. And he what he he lives on the inside of us. See, it's about keeping the pressures in the right place. Is that God wants to what fill us up, but the enemy wants to what destroy us. John ten ten talks about this: the devil, the thief, comes for what purposes? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, "I have come." That you would have life to its fullest potential. Not lesser to its fullest. That's what scripture tells us. And and we have to understand this. And so, you know, even, and this is really what I want you to hear this morning. Hear nothing else. Listen to this. If you want the sermon in a nutshell, here it is. I'm about to give it to you in one sentence. See what the enemy intends to sift in a negative way, 
as the result of that sifting, God is actually using to purify us and to refine us. See, the enemy will put us in situations that he thinks, man, I've got them. I've got them right here. I've got them where I want them and they're about to give up. They're about to walk away. And God says, no, that which the enemy placed in your path to get you is the very thing that I'm going to use to elevate you. That is the heart of God. You know, I heard it one time and I don't remember where I would say who, but it really helped me because, you know, you read in scripture many times you see the word testing and it's like God tested this person. God tested that person. You know, and it's like, well, why would God set somebody up to fail? Which God will never do, by the way. But it doesn't mean, because some people would also say, well, God doesn't test people. Then how do you graduate? How do you move up? But here's the difference. The devil brings test or trial into our life to what? To disprove us, to discourage us, to, to take us out. God allows testing in our life. Why? So that we recognize that we have grown, but he actually brings testing trial in, or, or accurately is that he will allow it to what? To approve of us, to say, yep, you're ready. Let's move forward. So in other words, God, what brings and allows things to come sometimes. And I'm not, I don't have time to get into all that. God doesn't bring sickness. God doesn't bring tragedy. God, you know, but that doesn't mean that, that trials and testing, let me say it this way. Sometimes the testing of God is his silence. And we can lose sight of that because we're, you know, because I've walked through times where it seemed like, God, I need you. Why aren't you talking to me? Where are you at? Like, you know, I, I mean, have you ever been there? It's like, God, I, I need to hear from you more than ever. And yet there's silence. I've heard it said that the teacher never talks when the test is being given. And it, why? Because you already know what you need to know. You just got to pass the test. And I have seen it at times. In my own life and in many others life where it seemed like in their hardest moments. They're like, man, I just can't hear the voice of God. I don't feel close to God. And it's. Keep taking steps. Keep Because what? On the other side, there's a freshness and a renewal that happens. In John chapter 4, we see this. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Says that he didn't eat. And then it says he was hungry. Like, whoa, shocker, right? For 40 days, you'd be hungry too. And yet it says at the end of the 40 days, that, that, and Satan was there. The Bible tells us, and we don't have time to get into it all. It says what? That he was tested by the enemy for 40 days. And it says at the end of the testing, guess who shows up to strengthen Christ? Angels. So if God would do that for Jesus, God will do that for you. Why? Because God wants to bring strength into our life. So we don't want to get pulled away from our trust and our hope in God. We need to what? Lean in even more. And so during this time, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit some space and have some intentionality about it, he's going to sift some things away out of our life. I'm sure that we could all think of things that through this pandemic, things that we thought were really important in January that just aren't that important today. We thought like they were essential. 
And now we're like, I could live without it. It's not that big a deal. But I believe if we'll allow the Holy Spirit, he will help what? Remove some things from our lives, things that really aren't all that important. He's going to, what, sift some things out that have actually held us back from stepping into what God has for us. See, God really works in a three-stage process. Is that God works for us, God works in us, and then he wants to work through us. That's the way God works. In other words, we don't initiate it, he did. He always does. He did, we didn't initiate salvation, he did. But, but he wants to work in us. And here's the thing, and it's exactly what happened there where I talked about the wilderness with Jesus. Is that not only will God work in us, but he's going to what give us strength for the days that we live in right now. He's going to give us the strength that we need. To what? To move forward and to move on and to, to move even higher up. Because I believe as Christians, and, and I could go through scripture and show you why I believe this to be true. But even as things go crazy in the world, my God is not in this world. He lives above and outside of it. He's not restricted by time. He's not restricted by space. He's not restricted by anything. I mean, you know, there are, I mean, like, just give you an example. And I'm not promising you this is going to happen, but it's in the Bible. It was time to pay taxes. And Jesus looked at Peter, who was a fisherman, and said, Peter, we got some bills. Go catch a fish. He said, but hey, don't just throw him back. Open his mouth first. We believe in catch and release. See, Jesus was a good conservationist. He said, open his mouth up. There's going to be some in the fish's mouth that's going to be the provision for what we need. Take it out, the fish's mouth. Put the fish back. Let him go on his merry way and go pay some bills with that. If Jesus can pay his taxes by fishing, I'm just saying. <laughs> now everybody's going to be double checking the fish's mouth. Like, Let me check this one real close. Hold it. <laughs> Let me see what's down here. I mean, that seems crazy. You can see provision time after time after time throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God will provide. Well, guess what? The enemy wants to convince you that God will not provide for you. And yet the Bible is slam full of God's provision for people over and over and over and over again. So why would I doubt if he would do it for them that he wouldn't do it for me? And yet the enemy wants to pull me away from my faith. When we get that bill and it's like, oh, shoot, I didn't anticipate this. What am I going to do? Philippians 4.19 my God shall supply all of my needs. He's going to bring me resources. He got resources I don't have, and that's a good thing. But my God will provide. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I just trust that you're going to help me. You're going to give me a way. You're going to make a way. You're going to bring provision. You're going to make this thing happen, and I'm going to listen for your voice. Now, again, we have to be paying attention to the Holy Spirit. You know, I used this term last week, but I believe some of what we are seeing right now, especially, I mean, obviously, I pastor in America, so if you're watching somewhere else internationally, but I also believe that this is true of the church globally. I believe that God is refining the church. 
Why? Because the church that the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for does not really resemble the church that we see right now. So that means that the church has to change. And so there's a refining that I believe that God is doing. Last week I used this this phrase or this term is that I believe that God is removing some of the fluff out of the church. You know, it's easy to serve God selfishly. It's like, God, as long as you do what I want, as long as you do what I need, I'm going to serve you. Well, I, I believe we need to be the church that says, even if you don't, I'm still going to serve you. Even if things don't happen the way that I think they should, I'm still going to serve you. In other words, we have to be some people of faith that got some backbone to us. Now, look, I believe that God will make a way and I believe that God will make provision. But I ought to have the mindset that I'm not serving you for what you do for me. I'm serving you because you alone are God and you alone are worthy and you have paid the price for my life. Therefore, I'm going to serve you with my life. Regardless of what you do for me, it's not about what happens or what doesn't happen. Nope, you are God and I acknowledge you as God. And you have that fixed in your heart. See, the Bible says that God is, is, that when Christ returns, that he's going to return for what? A glorious church, a powerful church, not a lackluster church. No, a church that's what? That's active, that's, that's making a change in the world around it. See, I believe that God is what? Purifying his bride. That's what the Bible says is that the church is Christ's bride. And it says that, that what? He's going to purify the church. Well, guess who the church is? Thank you. It is not this building. The church is us. So he's going to have to what? To purify us. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, it says, For Christ died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure. And it says that he's cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of God's word. It says all that he does, all that he does, all that God does in us is designed to make us a mature church. Now, I hope you know that I believe in the blessings of God, but it didn't say that, that everything that God does is designed so that we could be a blessed church. We could be a wealthy church. We could be a, this church or that, and you can fill in the blank. It says a mature church. I think that God wants to what? Refine us as his church so that we can what? Grow in spiritual knowledge and understanding so that when the wind comes, we're not moved. We have that even if mentality. You know, when I went to the, I went to the Philippines a number of years ago and our church that I was serving at at the time in Kansas, we had built a church. Now we were in a remote region on the island of Mindanao, really remote. And so I, I, we had built this church you know, our church had sponsored to build it. So we had sent the money for them to build this new church out in the mountain regions. And so, you know, we had a kind of a, I don't remember what exactly happened, but there was an afternoon where it was like, I wanted to take our team, because we were, it was two groups, whatever. And uh, so I took, I, I wanted to take our teenagers that were with us and I wanted to go up and see the church. I wanted them to see the church that our, that our church there in Kansas had actually built. You know, and so anyhow, so I'd gone there a few months prior, this and that. So, but anyhow, but I didn't get to meet the pastor because he was working, long story. But anyhow, 
doesn't matter. So we go back and we start talking. Now, when I say like a church, I mean like bamboo sticks and a roof, you know, like that's it. That was the church. But the pastor had this house and, and I began to talk to him and, and, and just get to know him a little bit. And I thought it was so interesting what he said. I, and even in my American mindset, this challenged me because as I'm talking to him, he tells me, cause you know, we would call it a tornado, but there they call it a, what they call it? A cyclone, cyclone. And he said that a cyclone had come through. Now this man had two little kids under, I mean, a baby for sure. And under four-ish. So they had two little kids. A cyclone comes through, wipes out their house completely. And he calls this kind of an overseer that oversees all these pastors all over the, the island. And he says, hey, my house is destroyed. Now's as good a time as any to go plant that church. <laughs> I would want to go sit on the foundation and pout and wine and he's thinking hey i ain't got to pack up a lot of stuff let's go i mean seriously moved an hour and a half away which was kind of a big deal there moved up into the middle of it at the time a very uh it was an al-qaeda stronghold and just said now's as good as any can you imagine you just lost everything and you're like ah, now's as good as any let's go god let's do this I don't even need a moving truck anymore. Like, it's easy. That's what I mean as an even if. Like this just tenacity about us. But that takes what? Maturity. To say, God, I don't have to understand everything to be obedient. We want to be obedient on the other side of understanding. Sometimes God says, I don't need you to understand. I just need you to be obedient. And that takes faith. Especially when, what, the enemy is trying to talk us out of what the Lord is bringing. I have way more content than I can give you this morning. So let me give you one last scripture before I wrap up today. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 12. Be the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. But here it says, gives us some instructions. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame of the Bible. It's like the who's who, retired, I don't know, sandals or something. I don't know what they were, but I don't know what you would do. back A cloak maybe, I don't know, but... It's the who-who of Scripture. And it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. What? In the beginning of verse 1, it says, since we have all these people, all these patriarchs who have gone before us, it says, let us strip off every weight that would slow us down. Strip it off. In other words, sift it. Let, it. let it move away. Let us sift off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us up. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but I just... I want to point this out. That sometimes there's weights in our life that are not sinful. But they're still weights. Sometimes there are things in our life that would slow us down and keep us from moving into what God would have for us. And God's saying, I just need you to let go of that. Sometimes it's security. 
Sometimes it's the ability to know everything. And God said, I just need you to trust me. Don't let the weight keep you back. Of course, sin has a price, yes, but not everything. You know, Paul said it this way. I can do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is for my good. So sometimes we just need to find things in, and the Holy Spirit will kind of put his finger on something. And a lot of times we're, you might even have the thoughts like, really? That? that You care about that? And it's like, yeah, because that's keeping you from what I have for you. So lay aside those things. Be listening for the Holy Spirit. He says, after you've done these things, he says, let us run with endurance. I know we don't like that word. Endurance, patience. The race that God has set before us. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Now, the scripture keeps going. You can go read it later. But this is what I want you to, to see is it tells us to what? It says, so we, we lay aside things and we run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So the question is, okay, how do I run the race then? Like, how do I live tomorrow? How do I deal with everything that's going on around me? How do I deal with all the pressure and the stress and the anxiety and the worry and all the the unanswered questions that I have? How do I still function in this life? Because we're still in this world. How do I do that? What does that look like? It says here at the last part or the last part that I shared with you, the beginning of verse two, but it says, because of the joy awaiting him, Christ could endure. So this tells me if we're going to endure this, this moment and even times in the future that the enemy is going to bring to try to separate us from our faith, how do we do it? We keep our eyes fixed, not on where we live today, but where we, we, where we will be living. In other words, I want to live with a heavenly mindset. There's an old saying that says that you can be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. How many of you have ever heard that? There's also the flip side of that too. You can be so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good, right? Well, I have a future address and I have a present address. And I want to live in the tension between the two. I want to live from a place that says that I want my life to glorify God. So that when I get to my new address in heaven, he's going to say, well done good and faithful. Well done. That's how I want to live my life. But what? So I can look forward and I can deal with the frustration, the agitation of now. Why? Because I'm not looking at today and I'm not living for today. I'm looking to the future because there's a joy awaiting me. There's a place that Jesus has secured. It's in the presence of God and that will help me to endure every circumstance and situation. That's the way that we live for Christ. That's the way we run with endurance. I'm not saying that I deny what's going on. No, but I just, I live above it. I don't let it weigh me down. I don't let all the what ifs get in the way as much as I can, although I'm an analytical person. So 
This is kind of a constant thing for me. Why? Because I can overthink everything. What if this? And if I do that, I do that. And it's like, nope. All right, God. You're going to tell me what to do. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And I'm going to live simple. I'm just going to do that. And God will take care of it. And I'm going to watch God work. And you can watch God work in your life and work on your behalf and bring you opportunities and do things for you that you could have never arranged in all of your what if and arranging and trying to figure it out. God will work for you. So I want to pray this morning over you. And I want to pray what Jesus prayed over Peter is that your faith would be strengthened. That you would be strengthened today. And even in the days to come, but it's only going to come through a vibrant relationship with God.